Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Let us begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Even is in this pandemic, you are with us. Please help us to focus now to worship you through your spirit and your word. Help me to preach your word and open the hearts of the listeners so that they may be strengthened by your word. And may you use this to save many unbelievers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we are going through the most unusual pandemic in our lifetime. This virus is deadly. As of last week, this virus has infected over 2 million people in the world. And the real figure is most likely much, much higher, higher, as much as 50 times higher because of lack of testing. And the number of people have died from this virus is over 150,000. In Indonesia alone, there are over 6,700 cases. And there are over 165,000 people who are under observation for this virus. And this virus has killed over 600 people. It is a deadly virus. And people are suffering all over the world. They are suffering from the effects of the virus. People are having fevers, uncontrollable shaking. They have uh, <coughs> difficulty breathing, and, and many of them have died. This is a deadly virus. And on top of that, the economy is in Iraq. Uh, people are out of jobs, are starving. It is a horrible, horrible virus. This virus is a result of our corrupted world. After Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, the physical world has been corrupted. This is why we have virus. It is very ugly. But the ugliness, the corruption of this physical world is a picture of the spiritual ugliness of this world. After the fall, like our first parents, Adam and Eve, the world is in rebellion against God. Like our parents, we are determined to know good and evil, right and wrong, according to our own thinking, instead of God and His Word. And as a result, the world is full of sin, full of idolatry, sexual immorality, violence, pornography, swindling, jealousy, all kinds of evil. And this, these horrific physical sufferings from this virus is just a picture of the spiritual ugliness, the spiritual corruption of, our, of, of this world in front of God. It's a reminder that the world is separated from God and is under God's judgment. Now after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, God covered them with clothing. In the Bible, when you cover someone, it means to protect somebody from danger. It could be danger from sin, danger from the enemies. And so when God gave covering to Adam and Eve, it is a reminder that they ultimately, ultimately need to be covered from the rebellion, from the sin, and from their shamefulness. And you know what? Now, everyone is wearing a face mask to cover the face. Whenever you see 
people with a face mask is a reminder that we need the ultimate covering of Jesus who will deliver us from the danger of this virus, of sin, and of the devil. This pandemic is very fearful. People are so scared. They are reading all kinds of information in order to protect themselves from this virus. They want to avoid this virus. And that is sensible. We all want to preserve our life. But if you're a non-believer, if you are so concerned about the danger of this virus, you should be even more concerned about the danger of God's eternal judgment on your sin. Because God is the creator of this virus. And death comes to us all. And after death comes judgment. So if you have a PhD in COVID-19, you should have two PhDs in the Bible to search how you can be delivered from the danger of God's eternal judgment. You know, you are not in control of your death. Death can happen anytime. And actually, the chance of you dying from something else besides for the virus is much greater. According to world statistics, every year, 1.3 million people died of car accidents. In Indonesia, every year, 40,000 people died of car accidents. This is far more than death from the coronavirus. And over the world, every year, 50 million people die of diseases. And just last, uh, just a few weeks ago, Indonesia's famous R&B singer, Glenn Fredly, died. Not because of the virus, but, but from something else. So you are not in control of your death. It will come. And if you are so concerned about the danger of this virus, you should be even more concerned about God's eternal judgment. And you should know how to escape that and preserve your life and be sensible. And if you are a believer, a Christian, the best thing you can do now, one of the best things that you can do now is to make sure of your salvation. Death can come to us all too. This virus has killed many Christians and pastors. But if you are confident of your salvation, then you will have peace even in this pandemic because you know that no matter what happens, you are safe in the arms of God. Now, I want you to ask this question to yourself. If you were to die today, are you sure that you will enter God's kingdom? Are you sure you have eternal life? And after you answer this question, I want you to ask this follow-up question. Is your confidence based on the Bible, on what God says? Or is it based on your own subjective feeling or what a pastor has told you? Now, if it's not on the Word of God, then you should not have confidence. That confidence is false and it's dangerous. Many people are doing crazy stuff during this pandemic to save themselves from the virus. A few weeks ago, 600 Iranians made up a, this toxic alcoholic cocktail and drank it because they thought that it would deliver them from this virus. But in reality, it killed them instead of saving them. 
they died because they put, they put the confidence in something in the feeling, not the truth. Or they put confidence in something that someone told them instead of the truth. And the same thing with our salvation. You must be sure that your confidence is in the Bible, not anything else. Not what a, pap- a pastor told you, not a preacher, what a preacher told you, not what you feel, but what the Word of God says. Because God wants you to have assurance of salvation. God wants you to be prepared for eternity. This is why he wrote 1 John through the Apostle John. The whole book is about how to have assurance, how to make sure that you have eternal life. And this is the topic of our sermon today, how to be sure of your, uh, to be sure that you have eternal life from 1 John. The purpose statement of this letter is in 1 John 5.13, and it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. See that this is the perfect pur- purpose statement. And in this letter, God gives us three requirements to know that we have eternal life, that we have confidence. And these three requirements are repeated over and over again in this letter. And each time this requir- a, each a requirement is repeated, it gives more details. And the first requirement you need to have to be certain, to be sure of your salvation, is that you must confess that God is light. This is in 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him no dar- is no darkness at all. Now, confession means to ag- agree with God. You have to agree with God that he is light. Now, what does it mean that God is light? Well, other texts in the letter give us more details. It gives us two things. God is light means two things. One, God is light means he is uh, perfectly righteous. He is perfectly righteous. This is in chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Uh, God is perfectly righteous. There is no evil. There is no sin in him. He makes no mistakes. He is light. Uh, second, God is light in the sense that he is perfectly Loving. This is in chapter 4, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, if you want to have assurance of salvation, you must confess that God is perfectly righteous and loving. Uh, This is important that you agree with Him. If you do not agree with Him, He will be offended and you cannot have assurance. Now, imagine. If you told me that you are a good person, a kind person who can be trusted, and then I disagree, I deny, I reject that, how would you feel? You would be very offended. You would not, be wanna, you would not want to be my friend, right? Now imagine how offended God would be if you deny that he is righteous and loving. Uh, he will be extremely offended. So it's important that we confess God is 
light. He is perfectly righteous and loving. This is the first requirement that you must have. And the second requirement that you must have to be sure that you have eternal life is that you must only trust in Jesus' death to cover all your sins. Uh, this is in chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now this second requirement is connected to the first requirement. Uh, God is love, and he demonstrates that, he demonstrates this by sending his son Jesus to die for us. 1 John 4, 9 says, If this is the love of God, uh, in, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Right. If you say you have no sin, or you could trust in something else to deliver you from sin, then you are saying to God, you know, you sent your son Jesus to die and suffer for nothing. It's all a waste. Your gift of love is not a gift. You are not loving. That is extremely offensive. Now imagine if Jacoby sends his beloved son to you and gives you a gift, and you reject his son, how will he feel? Uh, he will feel extremely offended. You are saying that he's a liar, that he is not loving, he is not a kind person. Uh, he would not want to be your friend. Uh, the same is with God. God has given us, us the greatest treasure, Jesus, his son, his most perfect loving gift to us. And if, if we reject him, his son, then re we are calling God a liar, that he's not loving, that he cannot be trusted. And that is serious offense. So we must trust in Jesus only to save us. We must not trust in anything else. And if we deny that Jesus has died for our sins, and we don't trust in that, we are also denying that God is perfectly righteous. Not just that he's perfectly loving, but he is perfectly righteous. Exodus 34, 7 says that God will by no means clear the guilty. As a righteous judge, he must judge every sin. If not, then he will not be righteous. This is why he must send Jesus Christ to die for our sins. All of us need to pay for our sins. Either you pay for it or Christ pay for it. Right? God must judge. And if you do not trust in Jesus, then you must pay for your own sins. And so you are still under God's condemnation. You must trust in Jesus only as your only mediator to have assurance of salvation. You cannot trust in anything else. You cannot trust in any religion. You cannot even trust in Mary to deliver you because God says very clearly that there is only one mediator between God and man, 
1 Timothy 2.15 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other way to salvation. Now, a survey was conducted two years ago in America by Ligonier and uh, Ministry and Lifeway. And in the survey, they took about, I think, 3,000, 4,000 people in America from various backgrounds, uh, from believers, evangelicals, to non-believers, like Buddhists or uh, whatever. And they asked them a bunch of questions. And one of the questions is this. Does God accept worship from all religions, including Judaism and Islam? And shockingly, 50% of believers, evangelicals, people who claim to be believers, say yes, God accepts other religions. That, that is a fundamental contradiction of what 1 John is saying. Now, I don't know the statistic about uh, this question in Indonesia, but I bet it's pretty close to America. This is wrong. This is contradiction, a direct contradiction contradiction to the second requirement in second in first john and if you are ignorant of this you need to correct this because it will affect your worship of god and your assurance of salvation now in order to trust only in jesus death to cover all your sins that means you have to confess some preliminary truths in order to trust in jesus and one of these preliminary truths is that you must confess Jesus is the Christ. Christ means anointed, appointed by God, and he's appointed by God to be the Savior of the world. This is in 1 John 2.22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 4.14 says that he God anointed, appointed him to be the Savior of the world. It says, And we have seen and testified that God has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So we must confess that he is Christ. And the second thing that we must also confess is that Jesus is God, 100% God. This is in 1 John 4.15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he and God, right? only a perfect God can pay for our sins. Jesus must be 100% God. He claimed to be God. He performed miracles that only God can perform. He forgave sin, and only God can forgive sin. He received worship from people, and only God can receive worship from people. If Jesus is not God, and he is, then he is committing blasphemy that is a serious sin so we must confess that jesus is god now the same survey that i mentioned to you earlier also asked this question is jesus a the greatest created being by god and shockingly 70 percent of evangelicals people who claim to be christians Say, yes, he is a created being, not God. That, that is a shocking statement, shocking statement. Uh, that is a 
direct contradiction to what 1 John 4.15 says. We must accept Jesus as 100% God. Uh, this is also very important. If you, do, if you deny this, you could be ignorant of this, but I'm telling you now what the Bible says, and you must accept this. But if you reject this, you have no salvation. You have no confidence. And the third thing that we must confess in, relating to re in relation to Jesus as our Savior is that we must confess that Jesus is 100% human. This is in 1 John 2, 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. <coughs> so it's necessary for every believer to confess that Jesus is also 100% human. Uh, this is important because God cannot die. Only a human being can die. And there are also other reasons in the Bible that tells us we must believe in this. Now, how is this possible? It is hard for us to understand, but think of it this analogy. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became 100% human. It's kind of like the software of the Spirit of Christ taking on the hardware of the human body. This is why he can be 100% God, 100% man. This is how it works. So we must accept Jesus as our only Savior. And the third requirement that we must have is to obey God's commands out of love. And this is uh, the most talk about requirement in the letter of 1 John. <coughs> uh, <the coughs> this is in 1 John 2, 3 to 5. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. And this requirement is connected also to the first requirement, that God is perfectly righteous. Since he is perfectly righteous, we must also live like him. This is in 1 John uh, 3, <coughs> 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So you must receive Jesus not just as your Savior, but as Lord. To confess that Jesus is your Lord, that means he is your leader, your king. And if you say that he is your king, ultimate king in your life, then you must obey him. If you don't, that means your confession is false. You cannot trust in any. Uh, you cannot <coughs> say that you can only, uh, you, you will only accept him as savior. Uh, many people only accept him as savior, but not Lord. And this is not right. Jesus comes as a package. He is both savior and Lord. You cannot divide him. Uh, many people 
are confused about this. They think that if you try to obey God, if you, tr- if you accept Jesus as Lord, and that means you're trying to earn your salvation. You're trying to work for your salvation. That is not true. It's only legalistic if you try to earn your salvation. But God is not saying earn your salvation. God is saying obey out of love. He says this, he says this in 1 John in many places. 1 John 2, 5 says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. This is saying if we love God perfectly, then we will obey him. And 1 John 4.18 says the same thing. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Right? We obey not out of desire or fear of hell or trying to earn uh, God's salvation, but we obey because we have received the salvation. We obey because out of love for the salvation, we, uh, we desire to obey. Accepting Jesus as Savior does not contradict uh, accepting Jesus as Lord. I know many people think this is a contradiction, but it is not. And let me help you to understand why this is not. This is very important. In the Old Testament, <coughs> King David saved many of his people from their enemies. Many of, many of his people were captured, enslaved by their neighboring enemies like Philistines, Moabites. And uh, David, the king, would go and save them. And when, they, when he saves them, liberate, liberates them, he is their Savior and Lord. Of course, uh, lowercase s, lowercase l, Savior and Lord. And <coughs> how does he save him? Uh, save them? He saves them not by requiring them to be worthy of his, sa- his saving. Right? He's not, he didn't require them to show that they are strong enough, they are brave enough before he goes in and saves them. Right? He simply just went in and delivered them. And how did these people receive his salvation? Did they have to prove to David that they are strong, brave, courageous before David saves them? No. That, that would be ridiculous. That would be ridiculous. They simply receive him as Savior. They did not think that they had to earn him as Savior. Now imagine if if David goes into a town and liberates uh, the people, and one of the person, one of the people comes out and say, "Hey, good to see you, David. You save me because I am so strong and so brave. That is great. I praise myself. Good to see you, David. You know that that would be foolish, right? David will tell him, "Stop being an idiot and uh, thank me instead of being prideful of yourself." Uh, this is exactly how salvation works. We are completely defeated by sin, death, and the devil. God does not require us to prove that we are righteous, good enough for him before he sends Jesus to die on the cross for us. Jesus simply delivers us by going on the cross for us. 
And when uh, the people accepted David as their savior, they, is, does that mean that they did not need to receive David as their Lord, the king? No, it does not mean that. Right? They still need to receive David as their king. They cannot rebel against David. That would be treason. He would, he would kick them out of his kingdom. Uh, it's the same thing with Jesus, the ultimate David, the greater David, the son of David that is prophesied in the Bible. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, we, mo- we also need to receive him as Lord. There's no contradiction. If we rebel against him, we will be kicked out of his kingdom we are committing treason. And remember, the people of Israel did not have to earn David as their Lord. They simply receive him and submit it to his kingship. And this is what we do. We don't earn Jesus' lordship. We simply receive him. And that, wa- that is what faith means, actually. Faith means to receive. We this is in First John. Uh, this is in the Gospel of John, and Colossians too. Uh, we, when we have faith, we receive Jesus as Lord and we submit to His kingship. That is what faith means. And there is no contradiction in terms of receiving Jesus as our Savior and Lord. They are both fitting because He is Savior and Lord. So to have salvation, you must receive. Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, if you are one of those people who say, yes, Jesus is my Savior, now I can party and do whatever I want and still have salvation, then you must question your salvation. You must question your confidence in your salvation because your confidence is false, is dangerous. It's like you are like, those people in Iran that drink that toxic cocktail and kill them because they have false confidence. It was not in the truth. Uh, if that is you, you need to repent and accept Jesus as your Lord. Don't be like the people in, in uh, Iran and be killed. Now, the third requirement is to obey God's commands out of love. Now, there are many commandments that God wants us to obey. But in this letter, he gives us two main commands. And these two main commands represent the two greatest commands in the Bible. That is to love God above all and to love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments pretty uh, uh, summarizes the whole law so this is why he uses these two main commandments and the first two uh, the first main commandment that he gives is the command to not hate your spiritual siblings but to love them this is in first john 2 9 to 10 and he, he repeats this over and over again whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Right? Uh, this love for God's children is not just an emotion. 
it shows up in practical ways. And one of the practical ways that uh, God listed in this letter is, is that we must lay down our life for our spiritual siblings. This is in uh, chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is just a repetition of Jesus' command in the Gospel of John. And this is a very, very high standard. Honestly, I don't even think I'm incapable of fulfilling this command. I need to humble myself and, God and ask God for prayer to obey. And the first step to obeying this command is to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you don't know your spiritual siblings, uh, there's a very small chance of you dying for them. Kay? So if you want to obey this command, you must know them. And this means you have to attend ch church regularly and attend community groups regularly so that you will know God's children and be able to obey this command. And another uh, practical way this love shows up is by providing their necessities when they cannot. This is in the next verse, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Uh, this is so, so practical in this pandemic. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church are losing their jobs. They cannot provide for themselves. They cannot pay rent. Kay? They cannot perhaps even have food to eat. And if we have the means and we see they are in need, we need to provide for them. If we don't, God's asking us, how does God's love abide in you? It does not. Uh, do not close your heart. Do not harden your heart. Love your brothers and sisters just as Christ loved you. And the greatest time to demonstrate love is in time of trouble. And in, the, in this letter, the second main command that God gave us to, to, to have us to obey our love is the command to not love the world but love God. <coughs> this is in 1 uh, first, uh, uh, John 2, 15 to, to 16. Uh, this is related to the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. Uh, it says this, Do not love the world with the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of God, the love of the Father is not in him. And what does it mean to not love the world? The next verse explains. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we, not, we ought to not love these desires. Let me explain to you what these desires mean. The desires of the flesh means lusting. You're, you're lusting over physical pleasure like the unbelievers do. And these physical pleasures can be sex, food, 
with drug addiction. Now, of course, God created sex and food for our good, for our enjoyment, and for His glory. But if these become idols, then they are evil. Then we love these gifts more than God, and it, and it kills us, our soul. And it creates all kinds of sexual immoralities. So we ought to avoid idolatry. 1 John 5.21 says, Little children, keep yourself from idols. And the second desire is a desire of the eyes. Uh, this means lusting over what you see. There are many ways we could commit this sin. And one way that it shows up is jealousy. When you see something somebody else has and you want it, you become mad instead of being happy for the person. That is jealousy, covetousness. That is against the 10th commandment. And so this is, this is evil. This is idolatrous. And this can show up in many different ways. In por pornography, in other covetousness over money and stuff, other things, and, and, uh, and a woman who's not your wife or a husband or a man who's not your husband. The third desire is the pride of life. The Greek word for uh, life here is the word bias. And bias can mean life or it can mean possessions. In this context, actually possessions fits better. Uh, so God is saying, do not be proud of your possessions. This is how uh, the New Living Translation and uh, NIV 1984 version translates it. It says, do not be prideful over your possessions like money, cars, houses, bank accounts, businesses, whatever you have. A and this means don't pour your identity, your worth, and your sense of security in these things. If you do, then they become idols. They become idols. So you need to ask yourself, do you have idols in your heart? If you do, you need to repent of that. Do you love the gifts more than the giver? If you do, you need to repent of that and love God more. Use your gifts, use your resources to serve Him instead of indulging in these resources. And if you do, uh, you will be more confident of your salvation. Now, God does not expect us to be perfect. We all continue to sin. So what can we do when we sin? There seems to be a tension. When we sin, we feel like we do not have confidence in our salvation. So what should we do? Well, the answer is in First John. When you sin, the first thing you need to do, the first step that you need to do is to trust in Jesus' death to cover all your sins. Don't trust in your good works. Don't look at your good works and say, here, yeah, I'm pretty good. I must be saved. No, our good works are never good enough. We, our first step is always to put our trust and thank God for Jesus' death to cover our sins. That is the first step. And then, only then, the second step is to ask God's help to 
enable us to obey him out of love. Don't skip this second step. A lot of people skip this second step. If you skip this second step, you are not receiving Jesus as your Lord. You must question your salvation. So uh, if you only do the second step, you become what we call hyper-grace. You think uh, grace give you, gives you the ability to do whatever you want, to make yourself Lord again instead of Christ. That is a false gospel. But if you skip the first step, you become legalistic. You deny Jesus as your Savior. So we must accept both steps, but we must accept, but when we sin, we must put our confidence in Christ first and then ask God to give us power to obey out of love. And if you do these things, and remember, don't reverse the steps. And if you do this, do these two steps more and more, your confidence in your salvation will grow more and more. And you will be, you will have fun, you will have peace in this pandemic because you know that no matter what, you are safe from the danger of God's <coughs> eternal judgment. You are safe in God's arms. Now, if you are not a Christian and you are fearful in this pandemic, and you should be, rightly so, you should know that God loves you and he has sent a Savior to rescue you. You need to receive Jesus and trust him only as your Savior and Lord. And you too will find peace in this world. And when you become, uh, when you accept, when you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you will become God's child and he promises to help you. And you can have peace in this pandemic because you know that no matter what, you are saved in the arms of God. You, are, you have escaped the greatest danger of all is God's eternal judgment. And you can enter into his love and his kingdom. I don't think I um, will skip the prayer because it's not no time. Because <laughs> I think, I think, um, <coughs> yeah, yeah. Because last time, I went over and they, they didn't want me to go over. <laughs> I prayed in the beginning, so I don't want to, I don't need to pray. 40 minutes? 40 minutes? Yeah. Still, Still over. <laughs> well, <I was> <laughs> okay. <laughs>